Have some money. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Now, God honors hard work, not a workaholic, not workaholism. God loves us to work hard, but God does not want us to become a workaholic. God wants us to be passionate about our profession, but God does not want us to be obsessed about our possession because uh, obsession is, is an unhealthy state. Um, however, you know, we will discover that not many things can happen except you are committed to hard work. So there's um, sometimes a thin line between being committed to hard work and becoming a workaholic. In fact, there's a very thin line sometimes between being committed to hard work and becoming a workaholic. Okay, one other thing I want to say at the beginning is, if you have a question, as the teaching goes on, you can write your question down so that at the end you, you can ask um, the question. Now, there can be a thin line between working really hard and, and becoming a workaholic. And today, God's going to show us the thin line. And those of us that have crossed the line into being workaholics, God is going to give us the antidotes so that we can be healed in Jesus' name. Ecclesiastes 10, 15. This is a very interesting scripture. The, the word of God says, Ecclesiastes 10, 15, it says, only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. You know, the word of God says that only someone that is too stupid to find his way home will wear himself out with work. And, I, I mean... I used to be like this, you know, I practically sleep in the office, you know, and, and it's as if I've, I've lost my way home, you know. Sometimes I come out of the office, I don't know where I've parked my car, you know, I mean, and I've come out at maybe, I won't tell you the time, late, and I'm like, where did I park my car? This parking lot or that parking lot, and, you know, and, um, my car didn't have the, you know, key finder and all that. So, I was a workaholic. Praise the name of the Lord. In fact, I was, it was so bad that um, God needed to set me free. And I'm going to be sharing with you um, a, a lot of those things today. And some of you are, are like, are you free from being a workaholic, Pastor? <laughs> you know, sometimes when you come out of an addiction, you know, you kind of uh, want, to, want to relapse, but I'm free, totally free, in Jesus' name. Amen. Because it's like an addiction, you know? We, 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 we are, it's like a fix, like, it's like narcotics, you know? Everything else suffers just to get that fix, you know? We are willing to, to betray our families, to 
betray our commitment to God, to betray even our own health, you know, and send everything down the line because of the fix. We are junkies, job junkies, you know, sometimes. <laughs> and we are earning addicts. There's, there's a, a young man that was practically dying, practically dying. And his pastor asked him um, then, my, my pastor at the time, um, um, asked him, and this guy is wealthy. And his pastor said, are you killing yourself? And, and the, the guy said to pastor that the problem is he can't sleep, that he has businesses in North America, in Europe, in Asia. So when Asia is sleeping, North America is away, this place, so it's like he's walking around the clock. And the time he has to sleep, now listen to this, he said, young guy at the time, he said, when he closes his eyes, and he, he, the thought comes to him that there can be somebody in this Lagos that, may, that can be richer than me, he says, the sleep goes away. I know it's easy to look at him and say, ah, ah, that is too much. But, you know, we are different variations sometimes of, of him. And we're going to see how. We, 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 we can't stop. We feel bad when we stop. We are driven to do more. So you're like, oh, pastor, that guy is an, that, that one is a workaholic. I am not. Okay, I'm going to run through a few things for you to check if you're a workaholic. <laughs> or not. If you answer yes to any of this question, you're a workaholic. Someone already say, okay, I've seen the questions of a workaholic. No. <laughs> Number one, are you always in a hurry? Does doing nothing makes you uncomfortable? That's about 80% already. <laughs> that is a workaholic at its spirit, heart. Do you find it difficult to say no to an opportunity? You're a business person or maybe you're at work and you see an opportunity. Do you find it difficult to say no to an opportunity? Do you feel guilty when you relax? Oh, I used to feel very bad. Even when I sleep, I used to feel so guilty. Why am I sleeping? Do you frequently find it difficult to turn your mind off at night when you go to bed? Thinking about the work. Do you procrastinate about taking a vacation? Take a vacation. Oh, Pastor, I take it next month. Next month comes, oh, okay, you know, I'll do it three, two months' time. Do you procrastinate about taking a vacation? Do you have to get sick to slow down? You have to get sick 
for your wife to feel, ah, thank God, at least you are her home today. <laughs> you know? Now, I know that there are some of you, you say, Pastor, I don't have any of this problem. In fact, my whole problem is I don't want to work. <laughs> Go and listen to part one of the teaching. <laughs> That's not for you. This, this teaching, in fact, you can just, just endure the teaching. <laughs> it's not for you. Now, if you say yes to any of these questions, you're a workaholic. Or this final question, if you take work to the toilet, you are definitely confirmed. <laughs> workaholic. You take your, your iPad or your, or your laptop, you know, you have finished your business, but you are still doing your business. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> Then you are definitely a workaholic. Definitely. And if you are saying, Pastor, honestly, I answered yes to at least one of these questions. Let me see your hands up. To at least one. Okay. Good percentage. Good percentage. And it's something that, you know, you know, you have to, for, for someone like me, it's a, running, it's a running battle. I need to keep that integrated position. Otherwise, I will explain the integrated position. Otherwise, I easily walk, 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 walk around the clock. So why do people become workaholics? There are four reasons why people become workaholics. But we'll, we'll talk about three. Three of them. The first reason why people become workaholics is, is because of insecurity. Insecurity. Galatians 1.10 says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. We have an intensive need for approval. We are insecure. We are insecure. There's this, many of us, most of us, we, we grew up without much affirmation at home. Or, or we had to perform to get, to earn it. And unfortunately today, we are still trying to earn it. We, we still try to want, want to show our mom that we are not losers. We want to show our mom that we are better than that, our, our, our elder brother that was always collecting the prize and, and making us look bad at home. We want to, so you want to say, okay, so, so I have more money now. I have, more, I, have, I have three cars. He has only one. I have, and because you are insecure, and we, we drive ourselves to the wall. Insecurity is a serious taskmaster. So you need to learn that what you do is not who you are. You need to learn that what you do is not who you are. Many times you, you, uh, we talk to people, it says, oh, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm, no, you're not a doctor. You practice medicine. <laughs> oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. No, I'm not a pastor. I'm 
privilege to pastor God's favorite people. So who are you? I'm a child of God, bought by the blood of the Lamb. That's who I am. And I have to take my identity from my source. Otherwise, that inner voice that keeps saying, you are nobody, prove yourself. Even when you do something, it says, oh, it's good, but it's not good enough. I mean, how many people have that inner voice? Am I the only one that have that inner voice? I used to have it, now I've shot it dead. You have to shoot it dead and draw your identity from who God says you are. So the first reason for why people become workaholics is, is insecurity. The second reason is, is, is worry. It's is worry. And we see that in, in Psalm 55, Psalm 55, verse 2. Psalm 55, verse 2. People become workaholics because they worry. It says, Psalm 55, verse 2, good news translation says, I am worn out by my worries. I, you are, I'm worried. How will, my, how will my wife eat? How will my children eat? Oh, how will I pay this rent? Oh, how will I do this? Oh, how? And it drives us to the wall. And, 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 and the enemy says to us, you can't afford to take time off. And the fear of failing makes us to keep paddling and paddling and paddling. Worry. The third reason why people become workaholics is greed. Is greed. Ecclesiastes 4.4 Good news translation, Ecclesiastes 4.4. The word of God says in Ecclesiastes 4.4, I have learned why people work so hard to succeed. The Bible says. It is because of what? They envy the things their neighbors have. I mean, isn't the Bible so complete? I have learned why people work so hard because they envy the things their neighbors have. Oh, she's carrying a Louis Vuitton bag. I have to save, I have to work, I have to save, I have to work, I have to... Then, then when you buy your own Louis Vuitton bag, you forgot, you do not, you ate, you put it inside. Rat came and ate it. <laughs> then you have a problem in your heart. Because you need to work harder to what? To match up. It doesn't end. Praise the name of the Lord. Luke, Luke 12, 15. I know that's not in your notes. But it's a very powerful scripture. Luke 12, 15. The word of God says that, And he went on to say to them, Watch out and guard yourselves from every kind of greed. Because your life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you may be. No matter how rich you may be, your life does not consist of the abundance of the things that you possess. Because your life is more expensive and it weighs more than the things you possess before God. And we're going to see that. Your life is more important. Even if you have the whole world, Jesus says what? will you give in exchange for your soul? Your soul 
one human being soul is more expensive than all the wealth in the world. Wow. So how can you depend on what you have to, to determine your value? How can you allow what you have or who likes you or who doesn't like you or who is angry with you to determine who you are? So today we're going to look at God's cure for workaholism. And there are five principles. And the principles, we kind of juggled it together. You see that the last, the last one, the X, we kind of, you know, um, improvised for it. <laughs> the, the principle is relax. Everyone say relax. God's cure for workaholism is relax, calm down, relax. So in relax, the R, the R there is that for me to, to have God's cure for workaholism, I must realize my worth. I must realize my worth. I must accept what God says about me. God says that my soul is weighs more than all the wealth in the world. I must accept it. I must realize who I am, really. I must realize my worth. I must realize my worth. I think it's um, the late Miles Morrow that, that talks about if, if purpose is not known, abuse is, in, is inevitable. If you don't know the worth of something, you will abuse the thing. If you don't know the worth of something, you will abuse the thing. For instance, there's this um, Ondo man, you know, and if you're Ondo, no offense, <laughs> it's just a joke. My father was Ondo. I'm from heaven. <laughs> so you see, I'm not abusing Ondo people. I'm just telling a joke, okay? Don't be take this thing too personally. Ah, come on. Just a joke. So there's this old Ondo man that his son bought a new car. The guy got the Lexus twin engine. I think it's a beast. If one engine shuts down, the other engine kicks up. You know that car? You don't know it? Anyway. So he took it to the barn, the old man, and took him on a ride. And all through the ride, the old man kept sighing. Hmm. 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 And the boy was confused. And, you know, when they got back home, the boy was like, Dad, you are not happy for me that, that, that I got this car. And, and, and the, the, the old man said to, to him that, my son, let me advise you. Go and sell this car and buy yourself a Peugeot 504. Now, some of you are like, what's the joke? Should I explain what the joke is? The Lexus can buy five Peugeots. You get the joke now. The old man does not know the value of... So he's like, what is it that this guy has bought? Pojo? Buy a Pojo? Praise the Lord. First John 3, 1. Says, see how very much our Heavenly Father loves us. He allows us to be called His children. And He goes on to say, 
think of it. And we really are. God loves us. He allows us to become his children. And he says, think about this. Think about the fact that you are God's child. And like we shared in the devotional a few days ago, I mean, I, I assume you used the devotional. Okay? We, we, we said that you know who you are when you know whose you are. You, 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 a lot of people struggle with identity issues because we don't know who we, whose we are. We want to know who we are. For you to know who you are, you have to know whose you are. Who owns you? Who owns you? So God says, you are precious in my sight. Isaiah 43, verse, verse 4. You are precious in my sight. You don't, in my sight, you don't need to perform. You don't need to perform to, to be loved by God or accepted by God. You don't need to, to, to score 90% or 100%. God loves you. And, and it's in his word, Romans 5, 8, where we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not wait for us to be good. If Jesus waited for us to be good, he will still be waiting. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So God died for us. Jesus died for us. And personally, you know, for me, the, the day, I've said this before, this, I embraced this emotionally. It was like a huge load lifted off of me. Many of us, we know it in our minds, in our brains, but we've not embraced this emotionally, that God loves me, as in totally. I can't earn it. And he loves me unconditionally. I don't need to perform. God doesn't love me when I, when I preach a, a good sermon. God doesn't love me when somebody gives his life to Jesus. He's happy, but that's not why he loves me. So I, I, I don't have any pressure. As a pastor, I don't have any pressure. There are some people, they are pressured. I don't have any pressure. Why do I have any pressure? It's simple. God loves me. In fact, he made sure my daddy gave me that name. God loves you. That's my name. So you'd never forget it. I know some of you are jealous. How come is the word I live like that? <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> so God wants you to understand that. Now, the key question here for you is, is, is this. In each of these relaxed six principles, we, five principles rather, we, there are key questions that I'm going to leave you with. The key question here for you is, is, is this, what am I trying to prove? With all these things I'm doing, up and down, going up, what exactly am I trying to prove? What is driving me so hard? What am I trying to prove? The day you, re, you answer this question honestly, that's your first step to victory. And the day you take the second step and discover that you don't need to prove anything, just be who God has called you to be, that's your second step and your complete step to victory. Ask yourself, what exactly am I trying to prove? What exactly? Trying to prove 
Some people call, I mean, you know, the, 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 and, and when we say walk, being obsessed, we can apply it to, to, to different areas. To walk, we can apply it to, you know, some, some um, it's even in the Bible. There's, so, so, some women, their sister, maybe give, give birth to five children. They want to give birth to eight children. What are you trying to prove? I have more children. <laughs> Who's going to pay the school fees? <laughs> what are you trying to prove exactly? Look at your neighbor and say, what exactly are you trying to prove? So the R there is I must realize my worth. The E there, I must enjoy what I already have. I must enjoy what I already have. That's contentment. I must enjoy what I already have. Ecclesiastes 3.13, the Good News uh, Translation says, all of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we have worked for. It is God's gift. Enjoy what you have worked for. Now, there's a lot of estates springing up, particularly in this part of, of, of Lagos. A lot of beautiful houses, even where, where I live. But 80% of the time, if you knock on those gates, there's no one at home. Sometimes, 90% of the time, there's no one at home. Everybody's out, hustling, struggling. You build the house. Enjoy the house now. Sit down there and enjoy your family. Everybody's out. Oh, where's your dad? Uh, dad is not home. Where's your mom? Uh, mom is not home. God says we should enjoy our work. We should be content and content with what we have. Contentment is a powerful force and it's not complacency. I've explained that. I'm not going to go into that, you know. Complacency is different from, from contentment. God wants us to be content. 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. The word of God says, Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we should have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. I mean, you know, it's just so powerful. Contentment is so powerful. So the key question I'm going to leave with you here is that, how much is enough? You want to make, okay, you want to make money. Pause. I've asked you this question before. I want to think right now, how much is enough? The lady is looking at me and smiling. I was shaking her head. I was so you don't have no clue. <laughs> how much is enough? Really? How much is enough? How many cars are enough? How many cars can a man drive? How many houses can a man live in? In fact, how many rooms can a man sleep in? Now, you build a house. It's not bad to build a house that has 10 rooms. Fine. That's your, that's your choice. You can, 
If it makes you happy, build it. But how many rooms can you sleep in? You, want, you try to sleep in all the ten rooms in one night. You see, oh, they get up. Oh, they get up. You will kill yourself. <laughs> the truth is that before you know it, if even if you have five children, even if you have six children like my mom, all of them will leave the house. They will all leave the house. You will be trying to trick them to come to the house. And they will say, sorry, mom, dad, I'm not coming. Enjoy what you have and be content with what you have. And that's, that's what God is saying to us. How much is enough, really? Because your net worth does not determine your self-worth. Many times, we think our self-worth, we want to draw our self-worth from our net worth. It's a bloody waste of time. Because no, no matter how much it is, your net worth cannot and does not determine your self-worth. You have to connect to God. You have to know. You see, the reason I asked you how much is enough is that the truth is that the man that is earning 800, um, okay, let me, let me not start with 800K. Let me start with 80K. The man that's earning 80K a month, we just think, oh, pastor has asked me, this is church, oh, God may be here, oh, there may be angels here, oh, there are, oh, I've heard this man say there are angels here. Let me believe God for 800K. And boom, God does it. You are earning 800k a month. Guess what? For most people that don't live by these principles I'm teaching you, I mean, from, from, from the beginning of tribe, very shortly, 800k will not be enough. Because need expands and wants expands to fit the pocket. Then, then you are coming for another breakthrough. Say, oh, Father, he says, I, 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 I'm sorry, I believe too small. Five million a month. I know people that earn more than five million a month. And guess what? They will tell you that they believe God for more. I'm telling you. So, when is it really enough? When you have your basic needs met, when is it really enough? You see, it is enough. Listen to this. When you connect to the God that is more than enough. That is when it's enough. In fact, there's some William Blake, he puts it this way. He says, you never know what is enough unless you know what is more than enough. You never know. You can never experience enough except you connect to the God that is more than enough. My provider, you are more than enough for me. You need to connect to God that is more than enough. Jehovah Rapha, my healer, you are more than enough for me. Okay. Jehovah Rapha, my healer, you are more than enough for me. You are more than enough. You are more than enough. 
You, you need to read those scriptures that are there. Until, I mean, and that is, that's what sets you free. That's what makes you live a life that you, you are not encumbered. Why? Because you're in touch with the source of the heaven and the earth. You're in, source with, you're in touch with the God that can never run dry. So you're, you're not flustered. But when you keep looking at your bank balance, You are saying your bank balance is your source. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this because that's how I live my life. That's how, that's how we run the church. That's how, that's how we, we do stuff. If you ask the people that work with us, when we want to do things, we don't start from how much do we have. No, we start from what does God want us to do. In fact, earlier on, back in the day, I mean, even now, people that work with me, I say, this is what we want to do. And this, I see them swallowing. And it's like, this guy, what is he thinking? If you know what God is going to do with us at God's every house, it's huge. And the things we are going to do, there will come a time in this old, in this old lecky, that nobody will go to bed hungry. Everybody will eat belly full. I know you don't believe me yet, but you will see it now. No, 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 no. How much does it take to feed? It's a lot, but the sauce. More than enough. Totally more than enough. You know, there are people that say, oh, oh, pastor, you know, oh, it's because, it's because, it's because you're a rich church. And I'm like, e? amen, in Jesus' name, you're prophesying. But they don't understand that you step out in faith because of your God, not because of what you have. And that's how you should live your life. And if you know that your life and your provision is from a God that can never run dry, would you ever worry for money again? Fine. Never worried. In fact, <laughs> okay, <clears throat> let's go on. Number one, God's cure for workaholism I must realize my worth. Number two, I must enjoy what I already have. Number three, I must limit my labor. I must limit my labor. I must limit my labor. I must make time for other things. I must make time for other things apart from work. Put a schedule down on paper and stick to it. Have people hold you accountable. Make time for other things apart from work. I'm telling you what I do. Exodus 29 and 10. The word of God says in Exodus 29 and 10. It says, you have six days in which to do your work. But on the seventh day is the day of rest dedicated to me. On that day, no one is to work. 
you are to rest. During the French Revolution, if you studied history, I mean, what they did after, after the revolution, they, they canceled Sunday. They said that there's not enough days to work. Everybody must, they must work seven days a week, round the clock. And in a short time, they discovered that the national health of the nation knows dying. People were just dying like chickens. But they think it's just, just one day in a, in a week that we added. But no, you, are, you don't understand. You are defying the principle that the person that made you laid down. So things are going to go, go south. And God is saying to you, take one day off a week. They're saying, but pastor, I feel guilty. Honestly, when I started taking one day off, that day was my day of guilt. I'm telling you, it used to be. I would struggle and feel guilty. I said, how you be taking the day off? Look how people are working. What is wrong with you? And I would jump up and I would begin to walk. I would begin to walk. I said to myself, why am I feeling guilty? Even Jesus took a day off. Did you know that? <laughs> Relax. Jesus didn't feel guilty. Mark 6, 31. It says, there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So he said to them, let's go off by ourselves to some place where we'll be what? Alone. And you can rest a while. Jesus withdrew to rest. Don't use vacation to catch up on work. I know many of you have heard me say, I'm not going on a vacation, I'm going on a vacation. That's the terminology of a workaholic. <laughs> I'm going on a vacation. But, you know, I, I, the, but the way I'm wired, <clears throat> I actually can't do a vacation. I must have a vacation that I'm not working in a year. I'm sure you know that. I shut down everything. But because I take multiple vacations, I actually take vacations. Because by God's grace, I can shut down and work. But until then, don't mix it up. Psalm 127 verse 2, the word of God says, It's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. God wants his loved ones to get proper rest. So the question I'm going to leave with you here is this. How often do I really rest? I want to underline that really. How often do I really, really rest? How often do I really rest? And you know, you know for me, I've said this before, and Again, I'll share it again, because some of you may be here for the very, very first time. How do I do it? How do I do it? I learned from some guy, a pastor called Rick Warren, years ago, over a decade ago, what I want to share with you, and I've been doing it for about over 10 years. And when I started doing it, it changed my life totally, totally. How do I really rest? I do three things. Number one, I deflect daily 
Number say deflect daily. Number two, I withdraw weekly. Number say withdraw weekly. Number three, I abandon annually. I deflect daily. I withdraw weekly. I abandon annually. I what? Deflect daily. I withdraw weekly. I abandon annually. I'm going to wait. Some of you are trying to write, but you're writing too slowly. I abandon annually. Why? In, in, in this, in my deflection, withdrawal, and abandonment, I deliberately, so, Pastor, what do you do when you deflect, when you withdraw, when you abandon? What do you do? Thanks for asking. I deliberately create time for three hours. I deliberately create time for rest. I create time for recreation. I create time for relationships. I create time for rest. I create time for recreation. I play games a lot. <laughs> Different types of games. I create time for relationships. I actually pause and look into my wife's eye and actually talk to her. You know you need to do that consistently. Is that like you're, you're on your computer? I'm hearing, I'm hearing. What are you saying? You need to pause and let it go. You need to just, okay, hold your wife and just go for a stroll. Just walk. If you don't create the time, I know wives are looking at the husband, can you, can you hear? Say you hear, Pastor. <laughs> I know some of you are going to buy the CD. Your husband is not here. I know, I know, I know. He's going to hear this CD today. But that's the truth. And I've bumped into some of you before. And that is not the time to be greeting me ten times. President of the Lord. So, you deflect daily. What are you doing every day? Find time for these three hours. As much as you can. Every day. Weekly. Annually. I even sometimes abandon multiple times annually. Which is why I could mix the vocation thing. And, and it's, it's the, the myth that a lot of us have is, is we are trying to create a balance. We are trying to create a balance. In fact, they call it work-life balance. Have you heard that before? So you have... You have that... You have work here, putting pressure on this end. You have, let's say, life. Let's just say family. 
to distill a part of life. Let's just say, family. Children, your husband, your wife, your life, basically. What the myth is that you need to get a fulcrum. Abby, what's it called? Fulcrum? A middle point, mostly, where you can balance life, family, and work. And sometimes it's as if you are carrying a crate of eggs. And when you get out of balance, what happens to the crate of eggs? It falls. And it, there's nothing that creates stress more than trying to find this balance. But I'm saying that this balance is a myth. Know what a myth is? It doesn't exist perpetually. In fact, it's a lie. It doesn't exist. So really, are you not supposed to find work life balance? Listen. A balance seeks to find a central point that the force here and the force there can be at equilibrium. Right? Physics, right? Okay, cool. What happens when there's more pressure here? You get out of balance. Then, Madame gets upset. She opens fire. Then what happens here? You get, you get out of balance. Then your boss gets upset, gives you a query. What happens there? You get out of balance. So, so what do you do? What do you do? Instead of seeking work-life balance or work-family balance, seek work-family integration. I know you're writing, that's why you're not clapping. I'm joking. Seek integration. What integration does is that it doesn't find a point of equilibrium. What integration does is that it makes this the fulcrum. Is this, is this, what's this thing called? Fulcrum? Okay. I, I'm, I'm not sure. It makes the fulcrum flexible. So when there's pressure here, family, work family integration. When there's pressure here, this guy just moves here. Then we are still maintaining equilibrium. 
Right? When there's pressure here, the guy just moves where? Because when there's pressure here and you move here, the weight here balances the weight here, right? Are you understanding what I'm... Good. So when you have family life integration, your wife stops competing with your job. Your wife, your husband stops competing with your work. Your, your spouse starts collaborating with your work. Ah, okay, I know, I know some of you are like, oh, pastor, you don't know who I'm married to. I mean, that's, I mean it's, not even, it's not even going to help me answer a phone call. But the reason is, is this, because many times we do life, in a, we, we do life in a disconnected way. And when you do life in a disconnected way, your spouse is a stranger to your, and your work is a stranger to your spouse. So if you are married to a competitive spouse, which in my experience, 99.999999% of women, when it comes to their husbands, are competitive. Women don't look at me like that. So what that means is this. Your wife, we see your job as a rival. So instead of her to be free to pray that you'll be promoted, she's like, hmm, this one that he hasn't got the promotion. And we are seeing him only two hours in a week. I'm telling you, she wants you promoted, but she's not sure. She's not sure what will happen to her and her children when you get promoted. Because you've not been promoted, you, you, are, you are like, I'm, be, look, I'm busy. I don't have time for you. But when there's an integration, and she finds that, the more you get promoted, the more money you have, the more you take care of her, the more you have time for her. What happens to her prayers? Integration by, by fire. Promotion by fire. <laughs> you see, there's no way. That's why the Bible says two are better than one. There is no way such a man will not be promoted. It's impossible. It's impossible for such a man not to prosper. It's impossible. For you to have your wife 100% behind you on your endeavor, you can never fail. You can never fail. Am I sharing you? Am I giving some secrets away here? Seek integration because women are emotional beings. Even if she's praying and she's not happy with you, her prayer is not going anywhere. She's praying because she doesn't want to be a witch. <laughs> That's the only reason she's praying. But her heart is not there. So, balance is a myth. Integration is the key. Do I get an amen? Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. 
So number one, I must realize my worth. Number two, I must enjoy what I already have. Number three, I must limit my labor. Number four, I must adjust my values. I must adjust my values. And the question is, what are you trading your life for? Really, what are you trading your life for? You need to ask yourself, what am I trading my life for? Mark 8, 36 and 37 says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? That's, that's what Jesus said. Solomon had everything we spent our lives going after. He had everything. Let's see what Solomon had to say. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. The word of God says in Ecclesiastes 10, 2, 10 and 11. It says, anything I wanted, I got it. I didn't deny myself any pleasure. Cars, if they had cars, camels, women, gold, silver, everything I had worked for. Then I thought about all I had done. And now, how hard I had worked doing it. And I realized it didn't mean a thing. If you have the King James Version, it says, all is vanity. It says, I looked at, I, 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 got, I, I went after everything. I had a big house, had a big cars, had the babes. This guy had 1,000 babes. If, if, if 300 wives, 700 concubines. If somebody that has been with a 1,000 women says there's vanity, believe him. It's vanity. <laughs> Don't stick to your one. You'll be fine. He says, I looked at everything. I need to adjust my values. So the key question for you and I here is, is it worth it? This thing I'm killing myself for, is it really worth it? That's the key question. I'm not saying you should answer it immediately. You go and wrestle over it. Go and ruminate over it. Is it really worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? That's your key question here. Is it worth it? So God's care for workaholism, number one, I must realize my worth. Number two, I must enjoy what I already have. Number three, I must limit my... Come on. Number four, I must adjust my value. And finally, number four... Five, I must expect God's care. I must expect. See, that is an improvision of the X in the, so expect X is the same thing from a phonics standpoint. I must expect, that's the X in the relax, God's care. Matthew 6, 31 to 32, it says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or drink or wear? I mean, and for the pagans, run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows you need them. I know we should save. 
I know we should invest. But you see, real security comes from investing in something that cannot be taken away from you. If you save all your money and you have a billion dollars, it can't be taken from you. It can. But real security comes from what cannot be taken from you. And that is your relationship with God. That's the only thing that cannot be taken from you. Anything else can be taken from you. Anything else can be taken from you. Anything else? Proverbs 14.30, the word of God says in Proverbs 14.30, it says, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Wow. A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Just relax and you look younger and your life will be lengthened. Just relax. Only relax. You know, someone says, don't sweat the small stuff. And somebody added to that. Number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Number two, realize that everything is small stuff. So just relax. So the key question I'm, I'm going to um, leave with you here is, is, is this. Am, am I really trusting God? Am I really trusting God? Am I really trusting God? I mean, I know we dealt with this when we look at um, the fear of the future and all this. I mean, uh, banishing fear. I know. But you see, you need to check. Am I really trusting God? You know, you know why? Because have you noticed that resisting rest is, is a sign of immaturity? Have you noticed that? Have you seen children when, when they are playing and they are really enjoying the, the, the game, or when they are watching Barney, those that love Barney, or what they are, I mean, they will be sleeping. And you're saying, go to bed. No, 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 I'm not sleeping. Why? They don't want to miss the action. I've seen somebody playing game, and he, he slept off on the controller. And I say, oh boy, go and say, no, 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 I'm not sleeping. But they've killed you 20 times in this game. Because they're just responding and they're taking you out. Why? It's a sign of immaturity. Children always want to be awake to enjoy to the maximum what they are doing. Aren't we like that sometimes? We don't want to rest. And God is saying, trust me, you need to rest. Just take the break. The fact is some of us are running on empty tank emotionally empty. And Jesus is saying to you today, like, like, like he said to us severally, saying to you in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me. And 29, if you are weary and overburdened and I will give you rest, put your yoke on me, learn from me, and you will find rest for your soul. So work can become an addiction and people can damage their souls. They can damage their families. They can damage their spiritual development. They can, they can damage their own health, physical health. But God is offering you and I today a, a cure. His cure for alcoholism. He's saying, relax. 
Relax. Number one, let's read together. Realize my. Number two, enjoy what I have. Number three, I limit my labor. Number four, I adjust my values. Number five, expect God's care. So the question is this. What am I trying to prove, really? How much is enough at the end of the day? How often do I really relax? This whole thing, is it really worth it for me to lose my joy, my health, my peace, my children? My, some people, just, your children just even hate them. Because they are, they are never there for them. Is it really worth it? Am I really trusting God? And that is the question. And I'm praying that we take this antidote for <laughs> workaholism and we find peace in God. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.